Thank you, Stuart. Good morning to everybody. Good to see everybody today and how blessed we are to be able to come together and worship God and study his word at this time and place. And we are very thankful for you. If you're visiting with us, we're thankful for you in an extra special way. We're always thankful for our regular members being together. And uh, we're thankful for those who have been ill and are doing better, Piero and, and uh, uh, others who have been away from us for a little bit and uh, are back with us, Sherry Taylor and others. We, we pray for all of those who are still ill in any way. But if you're visiting with us, we're thankful in a special way for you. We pray that your time with us will be a blessing for you as we get into God's word and uh, as we sing praises and try to glorify him through our worship. And your being here is already a blessing for us. Now, if you have any questions about anything you hear us say or teach or see us do, we keep saying, please ask us, because we're all just trying to be the church that we read about in the Bible, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And we'd love to be able to help you in your spiritual walk if we can do that. Over the last many weeks now, I believe we've been about 10 weeks, talking about and studying on faith, looking at it in depth and detail. You'll take a little break from that today, and we'll get back into that for one or two more lessons next time. But today is a day when a lot of people are thinking about Jesus and thinking about God. They focus on the cross, they focus on the resurrection, and I said for many years that when we think about Christianity, we talk about a focal point, and most people would probably say right away, it's, it's the cross, Jesus dying on the cross. And I've tried to make the point that any man could have gone to that cross and died claiming to be the savior. But Jesus rose from the grave. And that's what proved that he was and is everything he claimed to be. And that everything he taught from God's word and as he brought more revelation from God's word is exactly that. It is God's word. And so because he rose from the grave, we can be thankful that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. That God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and verse 8. We can be thankful for God's love. We can be thankful in an extra, extra special way for God's love being demonstrated by sending his son to that cross on our behalf and then raising him from the dead so that there could be no doubt that he is truly our savior. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people will focus on this one day out of the year or maybe one other out of the year and that will be pretty much the sum total of their spiritual life focused in a worshipful way, meeting with a church of some kind. That's unfortunate. That's not what God sent his son to do and teach and accomplish in establishing the church upon this earth. But I'm thankful that anything can stimulate a single individual to think about his relationship or her relationship with God to focus on their spiritual life. And then maybe something in that particular moment of time can stimulate them to start asking themselves that self-inquiry self, uh, 
examining question, am I where I ought to be spiritually? And so we're thankful that anything can motivate somebody along that line. Sometimes it's hardship in a person's life. Sometimes it's death within a family. Sometimes it's a relationship that is on the rocks, so to speak. Whatever it is, if that can shake a person to think about their relationship with their Lord and Savior, I'm thankful for that. And sometimes, in fact, I would suggest to you that over time, many times, that kind of situation can actually turn a life around. And I'm thankful for that. While people are thinking about Jesus today, thinking about what, him as the Savior, his going to that cross, his being resurrected from that tomb, having gone into that tomb physically dead, come out physically alive, but always still there with God. I'm thankful that we can realize that we cannot just believe in Jesus, but we can follow him and be just a Christian. Just a Christian. Now this, is, this, this message is revolutionary to a lot of people. When you ask a lot of people, well, what is your belief? What are you as far as your, your spiritual life is concerned? And they'll name some denomination. But they will somewhere in the background they'll also recognize that they believe they're a Christian. Well, how unfortunate it is that they put the name of a denomination before the name of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before they identify themselves in that basic fundamental old way, I'm a Christian. Many people think they have to belong to some denomination in order to be right with God, but this is a revolutionary message. You can be just a Christian. And this is a message of purity from a spiritual perspective and simplicity and direction and common sense. And we need to communicate this great message far and near. I think any time, at any point in time, in any generation, anybody living at that particular moment in time could then add to this, if there was ever a time when mankind needed to come to God through their Savior, Jesus Christ, this is the time. And certainly with, what, with all that we see going on around us, in our country, the confusion, the bitterness, the division, the animosity, people trying to put God out of the picture, and then when we look at the worldwide scope of things with war raging, but there are always wars and insurrections going on all the time, but right now we see a massive one going on. If we could say, if ever mankind needed to come to the Savior, this is the time. Well, here's the message. You can be just a Christian. You can be just a Christian. And this is a message of pure Christianity. Pure Christianity. When we look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he wrote to the congregation at Corinth, which was having some very serious problems with their Christian unity within that congregation. 
And so he writes to them and he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now he uses five different figures there or expressions to emphasize, I want you to be united in Christ. I want you to be just Christians. I want you to love each other as you should be loving each other in Christ as Christians. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And now this I say, that some of you say, I am of Paul, and some I am of Apollos, and some I am of Cephas, and some I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now those last questions in succession are rhetorical. The answer is understood in the question itself. And so what he says was, you know, is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. All of them would have understood those answers to those rhetorical questions. But he said, but there's a problem there. You're divided. They're divi you're divided. Some of you are following preachers, maybe preachers who were particularly influential in your life on an individual personal basis. Maybe these were preachers who baptized certain individual ones of you. But he says, the preachers are not the Savior. Christ is the Savior. And if you want to be just Christians, you need to be united in Christ. There should really be no division within the Lord's church. Christ is not divided, and neither should his church, which is his body, first, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, neither should his body be divided. Neither should the church be divided. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, I appreciate Stuart reading that a few moments ago. Paul goes on and he's still addressing this problem within the congregation there at Corinth. The problem of division, of disunity, not getting along, thinking and going in different directions. And so he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but to carnal. Now the word carnal would mean basically worldly of a, or of a worldly nature as to babes in Christ. In other words, you should have been more mature by this time, but you're still just like baby Christians. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Well, why? Because when I was there with you, you were just growing in your faith. But that's a time past. You should be farther along in your spiritual maturity and development by now, but you're not. He goes on and says, for until now you are not able to receive solid food, that is, the deeper and weightier matters of scriptural teaching, and even now you are still not able, he says. Well, how sad for those particular members of the Lord's church that they had just kind of stayed where they were, stagnant somewhat in their spiritual development and growth. Their faith, and we've been talking about faith a lot, was still on a lower level of development from where it should have been by that time. He said, you're still carnal. 
you're still thinking from a worldly mindset too much. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Those are ways of the world, those kinds of divisions. The strife, envy, those things are part of world, worldly living. He said that's where you're still at to an, un, uh, an unacceptable degree. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Are you not thinking like the world around you? But you're supposed to be examples to the world. You're supposed to be shining lights, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through, through 16. In fact, you're supposed to be like seasoning salt, helping people see the better way and become better in their own lives from a spiritual perspective contradictory and conflicting doctrines and names and plans of salvation, they're not of God's world, word. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter he destroys any notion for someone to be able to think r rationally in their mind and realistically in their mind. Well, it's just a matter of what you believe, and you believe one thing, and I believe something else, and it, it's a matter of your interpretation, and my interpretation may be different. Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not what God's Word teaches. Men did not write the Word of God. Men were chosen as penmen to write down the very word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed is the literal sense of that particular statement. So it is God's very word. So it, it's not okay to say, well, you've got your interpretation, I've got my interpretation. No. Your interpretation may be wrong, your, my interpretation may be wrong, but there's only one true interpretation of whatever God's word teaches in any context of scripture. It is God's word. He did not send those penmen to write by inspiration, guided to write what they wrote by the Holy Spirit, to write a whole bunch of confusing mumbo jumbo. They wrote his very word, and it means the same thing to every one of us. In John chapter 17, the night of his betrayal, Jesus prayed for a very special kind of unity. He prayed to the Father. He says, now he's been talking about and praying for up until this particular point in that immediate context for the apostles. Now he shifts gears and he expands that particular prayer to all who were his followers at that time and to all who would ever become his true followers. And so he says to the Father, I do not pray for these alone, that is just the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, Father, as you are, or as, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, what degree of unity 
does God the Father and God the Son share? Absolute unity. Could you even imagine in the throne room in heaven the Father talking to the Son and they're having a disagreement? Well, it's just a matter of interpretation. You believe it one way, I believe it another way. You think this, I think that. No, that's absolutely foreign to the very nature of God. There's no disagreement between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They all believe the same. They're all focused on the same particular purpose in dealing with mankind, and that is our eternal salvation. And so Jesus prays, I'm praying that all of my fathers, all, all of my followers will be absolutely, completely united just as you are in me and I am in you. Absolute, total unity. That's the, that's the unity that Jesus prayed for. Now, just a Christian is a message of pure Christianity because it conforms to the word of God. Just a Christian is also a message of simplicity. In fact, the simpler the better. I've, a number of times I've talked to somebody, there'd be some kind of a mechanical problem or maybe some kind of a, of a technological problem. And, and, and I've said, you know, uh, check the easiest thing first, the simplest thing first. Before you start digging into the whole engine or, or into the whole computer system, what, what would be the simplest thought for trying to find whatever the problem is and fix it. Well, the simpler the better. The, more the simpler it's the more straightforward. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, we find, the, uh, we find the, who would become the, the apostle Paul, he was not yet given that particular identity by our Lord, but Barnabas had gone to find him and bring him to work with the congregation at Antioch. And so in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, we read when he had found him, that is when Barnabas found Paul and brought him to Antioch to work with the Lord's church there. He brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples, that is the followers of Christ, were first called Christians at Antioch. Interesting, isn't it? Simple designation of identity. Giving Christ the ownership, the, the basis of that identity, and the glory. Disciples, followers of Christ, were first called Christians as listed in the scriptures at Antioch. That's a simple, straightforward, again, let me emphasize, simple and truthful and biblical identification that gives Christ the glory. Just Christians. Now it could be that early in the existence of the church that that term Christians was used as a term of derision by disbelievers and even enemies of the church. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, as Paul stood before King Agrippa at a hearing that ultimately would result in his going to Rome and still remaining a prisoner for another two years probably. Agrippa said to Paul, after Paul had basically preached the gospel message of salvation to all of those who were in audience at that time, Agrippa said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. 
Another translation says, in a short time, you would feign to make me a Christian. And so there's discussion as to whether Agrippa was saying, you almost got me there, you almost convinced me, or whether he was speaking rather sarcastically and saying something along the line, you think you're going to make me a Christian in such a short time? And so it could be, and the more literal understanding of that term Christian is Christ one. And so it could be that the enemies of the church, the disbelievers in Jesus Christ, in the early years, the very early years of the church, used it as a term of derision, Christ ones. Oh, but by the time Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, and certainly from the second century onward, the followers of Christ took this term of identity as a, an identity of honor, an identity that they respected, that had great and deep meaning for them. And so Peter wrote, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And we should be thankful first. And I'm talking about humbly thankful that we can be Christians, just Christians, followers of Jesus above all else. Our chief identity in life here on this earth just Christians. But then mankind confuses things. Denominations have different names that confuse. They divide people who want to be Christians into all kinds of groups with different identities and different belief systems, different plans of salvation. And that's not okay. If, from what I can understand the scriptures to teach, Jesus said, I want all my followers to be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. When we have all that kind of division through denominationalism, and that very term means division, then the world that is unbelieving, that does not believe in Jesus, they're confused. What should I believe? You all don't even agree among yourselves. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to not excusing different belief systems as saying, it's just a matter of how you interpret versus how we interpret. No, we've already read. Peter said, no, 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 that's not God's way. That's not the way the scriptures were meant to be understood. We need to believe and teach and practice the same thing. Denomination, denominationalism has simply developed brands of Christianity. And that's not the way the Lord came to establish his church in this earth. Christianity, just a Christian, is truly a message of pure Christianity because it conforms to God's word. It is a message of simplicity in fact, the simpler the better because it is more straightforward, truer to scripture to use the simple name Christian. You can be just a Christian. And then just a Christian is a message also of direction, a message of direction. I'm not sure how many people actually think about it from that particular perspective, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, 
The Apostle Paul reminded Timothy, and Paul was in prison at this time, a second time in Rome, and from the tone of this particular letter, he seems to indicate that he's expecting to be executed this time. But he's giving some final words to young Timothy, who had been something of a, of a right-hand man for him, and also a son in the gospel. And he says, he reminds him that from childhood you have known what? The Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is all sufficient for us to guide us in his will to guide us to be just Christians. Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. The sense seems to be that it was not long after they had been established as the Lord's church. And so Paul writes to them, a troubling situation had developed within those different congregations in Galatia. And so he's writing to them. False teachers had come in to kind of twist the truth somewhat, matter of private interpretation, Paul writes this to correct them. He says in Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. Now you might say, well, uh, a different gospel, which is not another. What does he mean? Whenever you change the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. Whenever you change God's word, it's not God's word anymore. It's your word. And so he says, I marvel. So soon, so soon after you became Christians, after you learned and obeyed the gospel of Christ, after you were baptized into him for the remission of sins, as he told all of the apostles to go out and teach all through the world, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. You have been led astray, and you have been led to a different gospel, which is not another, because there's only one true gospel. Then he goes on and he says, there are some who trouble you and would pervert or twist the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel to you than what, you have, what we have preached to you, let it be accursed. Now, I think that's simply a hypothetical statement. He's, he's making that statement for emphasis. Even if an angel were to come down from heaven and preach a gospel that was contradictory to what we have already preached to you, let that angel be accursed. I don't think he was suggesting that that could happen or would happen. He's simply trying to give a point of emphasis for the point that, uh, as to how important this is to stay true to the true teachings of God's word, of Christianity. And, but then he gets more practical. And he says, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone or any man preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And there's the more practical possibility that someone would come along, a person, a human being, and try to change your understanding of the truth of God's word. Paul says, let him be accursed. 
They'd become the churches in Galatia, some of those Christians had become misdirected. They were off track from the true gospel that they had been taught. And that's not a light matter. When Paul was writing the Romans letter in Romans chapter 16, beginning with verse 17, he said, this is a matter that absolutely requires discipline, judgment. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine or teaching which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. He says you need to be on guard. Now how can we best be on guard against false teaching? We know God's word. That's important for us. We have to know God's word in basic, in basic and in depth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 again, beginning with verse 1, Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Well, why was Paul emphasizing this? Again, toward the end, apparently, of his physical life, facing imminent execution. He tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, stand against false teaching. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And that's where a lot of people are today. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to be made to feel good in what they already believe. They don't have much time. They don't have much patience for somebody trying to show them the truth in a loving way, in a patient and kind way, to show them the truth and therefore the error of their understanding. They want it to be okay. But that's not being just a Christian. Just a Christian is a message of direction. When John was closing the revelation, and this is simply the last particular context of scripture that addresses this particular principle and teaching, it's basically all through the Bible. But here, and it's interesting that we find this in our Bibles that we normally use today as the closing book of the Bible. And these are almost the closing words. And here, John writes, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things written in this book. Now that's how serious it is to not just believe something, to not just think it's all right for there to be all kinds of different belief systems and plans of salvation taught, but we have to make sure we believe the truth, the true truth of God's word. 
because otherwise we could be putting our eternal souls in jeopardy. We cannot do better than the guidance given to us in God's word. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119 in verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then we also look at Psalm 73 in verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to your glory. Sometime if you want to take on an exercise, read the 119th Psalm, the longest of all the Psalms. Every single verse in that Psalm, with the exception of about four or five. Now I heard this many, many years ago. I went back and tested it myself. Every single verse, with the exception of about four or five, refer to God's word in some way emphasizing the importance of God's word in guiding us in God's will. Guiding our lives while we're still here on this earth in his will. God's word is the authority. Many times people would ask me, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? And I would respond, you don't want to know what I think. You want to know what God's word says. That's the standard. That's the standard. Losing one's direction from this path of discipline could result in losing one's soul. Second John chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. The apostle John wrote, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, the true teaching of Christ, and that would include all the teachings by Christ, as well as the teachings of Christ about him and by him does not have God. When we go beyond that, John identifies that as transgression. And he says, you don't have God in your life. You're not walking with God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. When we're living by his word, by those teachings correctly, then we're walking with God. God is in our life. Christ is in our life. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, and here's how serious this matter is. Anybody comes to you and they're changing things, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You see, this is not just a matter of personal feeling. This is a matter of salvation and eternal life and true dedication to God. Since just a Christian is such a great message of purity, simplicity, direction, it is obviously then also a great message of common sense. As we noted in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, or companion verses in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. But here in chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says, be diligent. Be diligent. Another translation says, study. The meaning, the, the emphasis is the same. To present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling correctly the word of truth. God's word. Again, since just a Christian is such a great message of purity, simplicity, and direction, 
it is obviously also a message of great common sense. Because you see, it just makes sense to follow God, God's way. The way that he has laid out for us in scripture and not change, try to change his way to suit my fancy, so to speak. Do you know people who need this message? Probably every single one of us does. Carry it to them. Help them to see the truth of God's word. Communicate this message to them. We'll be glad to let you have a CD for free or as many as you need. Or just tell them, go to our website at churchofchrist.com. At 2 o'clock this afternoon, this lesson will be posted. It's free to access, download, and listen to that way. And then they can even share it with others, I believe, from that particular format or, or platform. Carry it to them. Help them to see, understand this exciting message that people can come to Christ without joining any denomination. People can become just a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. If you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, repenting of your sins, and confessing his faith openly, we encourage you, step forward or talk with us right after services. We want to help you with that. If you need the prayers of the church, again, either step forward and let us know or talk with us privately. We want to pray with you and for you. If you need to get into God's word more thoroughly yourself, please talk to us. We'll make the way for that to happen. And we have many resources along that line. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing. As I travel through this.